You are listening to Satellite Sisters. Great to be with you today. It is Tuesday, October 20th. The month is flying by, Julie Dolan. How are you? Leanne, well, it's an (laughs) afternoon delight here today on Tuesday afternoon. We usually don't do the show on Tuesday mornings, but this after we're doing it in the afternoon. So uh, I'm very relaxed. I just got my hair cut, ready for uh, my trip to New York. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California, and we have a full show for you today. It just keeps coming. We have, we're taking requests on the Facebook page, and uh, we're going to be talking about the new college application that was announced a couple weeks ago that's uh-huh. been making news, this um, you know competitor to the common application. I know we have a lot of people with kids in high school that listen to the show, so this will be of interest to you. Julie is bringing back an oldie but Goody, the Bitter Business Bureau. Lynn, I am so bitter. And I'm going to make you bitter. And everyone that listens to this podcast is going to be bitter when you hear about who is making money. Okay? I'm just, that's all I'm saying. All right. But don't worry, because after the bitterness, what's a great dessert platter? Cheese. And we have a block of cheese story. So you're going to enjoy that. (laughs) We have some tiny, tiny trends and some entertainment stories. And then, of course, we have our weekly recap of Madam Secretary. And whoo, am I glad we have a Kremlinologist in the house because it was all Russia all the time on this episode. So we'll be talking about that at the end of the show. Um, But Julie, I went out this morning and did uh, my first solo speaking gig for our You're the Best book tour. Now, the book doesn't officially come out till next week. But months ago, we had scheduled the book to come out in September, and then we moved the date. And that's why we have a couple of these events scheduled before the actual book comes out. So we weren't trying to, like, cheat anybody. We had just things on the calendar, but for various production reasons, we moved the book to the end of October instead of the beginning of September. But I was happy to go to a school in the area and talk about the book to the folks at the PTA. That's a good well, audience good. there. Yeah. That is, that's a very, very fine group, Liam. Yes. Well, they, you know, I mean, I have to sit through the PTA meeting. <laughs> Oh, you didn't? Oh. Now, Leanne, you told me that uh, because I had an opportunity to speak to a women's group and the question was, do you want to speak before or after the business meeting? And you told me to speak before the business meeting, Leanne. Yeah, you didn't I, have that opportunity. You had to sit through. Yeah, I thought I had timed it correctly, but apparently they have at this school morning chapel before the PTA meeting, and that ran overly long. So it was circumstances beyond my control. But I know the theme for the big uh, 2016 uh, benefit, and that's going to be the Roaring Twenties, Julie, in case you're wondering. (laughs) (laughs) It's never too early to start working on your Roaring Twenties costume, William. (laughs) That's what they said. That's what they said. Try some fur and some feathers. That's what they'll be wearing. But it was fun to talk to this group at this school. I've been there a couple of times in the past. They've always been very supportive of my work and my writing. And so I was happy to be back. And, you know, one of the really fun things about um, the book is that it's all about friendship. <laughs> you know? Yes, it is, Liam. And it's- it's easy. And it's, people have friends and they like their friends. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's a pretty easy book to talk about. I hadn't really thought through how I was, how I was going to present to some of these store, the schools that I'm going to, and I'm going to a couple. But then I thought like, you know what? 
I could not have gotten through my children's school years without my friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that comes through in the book. There are a couple of pieces in the book that specifically address that. And so that's what I did. I just sort of gave a, a, a primer of how I use the friends in preschool and elementary school and middle school and high school and what kind of friends you're looking for. And I really enjoy talking about it. It's really easy to talk about your friends. <laughs> that's nice. yeah, it's it good... sounds like a very good talk. Leah, yeah. you should do it as a separate audio podcast. Just, oh, please. Uh... I can't do any more. I okay. Can, I okay. cannot do one more thing. I, right. I, I, the, the amount of hands-on stuff we have to do for this book tour, I tell you, Julie, yesterday, Liz called me. She's like, you know, we should get some customized book plates. You know, you know how she talks. I, and I, I know when she's, she talks very fast. I know. Very fast. Yes. And, and it's a little scary when you get a call from Liz Dolan in the middle of the day. Don't you think? Yes. It does throw you off your game, you know? So, so I, I just finally had to say, I, I can't, I'm done. I can't do any, anything more customized. I, I'm not good at things like printing. I don't, I don't, have, I can't do stuff like this. I said, I'll go buy some blank book plates, but that's it. I, I have to stop with the customized stuff. So, uh, whoo, I know. Oh, it's a lot going on. It's a lot going on, but it was really fun. Great support. People really seem to enjoy the book. And uh, so that's it. Kick off. We're on the roll. We're on the okay. roll. We'll see you all that in Brooklyn awesome. next week. Oh, can I mention one thing? Uh, I put this up on the Facebook page. I just want to alert Minnesota people. Um, there is a venue change for Minnesota, but nothing else should change. The time, 4 o'clock, should be the same. The date, November 14th, is the same. The bookstore will be able to provide books. They just had a, a big surge of RSVPs, and so they're moving the talk by Liz and Sheila to a different venue. So that is Saturday, November 14th in um, St. Paul. They're moving the venue a couple blocks away from Subtext Books to the St. Paul Athletic Center. As we know all the details, it'll be updated on SatelliteSisters.com. But I just wanted to alert people. So but okay. between now and then, we will give you plenty of information. But everything else is the same, just a different venue two blocks away, so we can accommodate more Satellite Sisters. So that's good news. That is good news. Athletic Center. That sounds big. <laughs> 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 I'm not going. Oh, and I posted the event, and so it appeared that I was going. I'm not going. I'm not, going. not going. I'm not going. I have a full slate of events in Southern Cal. So it's Liz and Sheila going to uh, Liz and Sheila going to Minnesota. Liz and Sheila going to Minnesota. That's a good combo. It yes. is. It's an excellent combo. Um, okay, we got a request on the Facebook group to um, talk about the new college admissions group, the consortium of private mm -hmm. colleges that have put together their own application. Uh, let me just bring up my, bring up my materials here. Okay. So it's 80 colleges. These mm -hmm. are super select liberal arts colleges, some public colleges and all eight Ivy league schools. The name of this new application that will go up against the common application is the coalition for access, affordability, and success. And theoretically, the goal for this new application is to be more user-friendly, to be a one-stop shop for information about schools, applying to schools, uh, financial aid, anything you need to know about colleges will be there. And it's supposed to encourage schools, students from all socioeconomic classes, it's supposed to be something that you can do over your four years of high school. 
You have mm-hmm. what's called a locker on this new platform, and you can start putting uh, pieces of writing, creative work into your locker starting your freshman year so that by the time you get to your senior year, you'll have all kinds of information in there. You'll know all kinds of information. You'll be connected to schools and admissions officers, and it's just supposed to create uh, a more egalitarian application process. And I saw this and I thought, oh my gosh, those poor parents. <laughs> right. <laughs> those poor kids. I, now you have to start bugging them about their college applications freshman year. Yeah. So I know the intent is all good, but as a parent, that's all I can think about. Julie, mm-hmm. what, what did you think? Former, former college admissions officer. What did that's you think right. about that? I, I was, I did mainly uh, graduate school ad- admissions, but I did uh, work with undergraduate admissions of, of, at one school. So I have, I have just a, enough background and experience to, to be erroneous. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and so, opinionated. Uh, and opinionated. Yes, <laughs> opinionated, erroneous, and certainly out of date, you know, in terms of my information. But I was, I was really shocked because that was the whole purpose of the common application right. was to make it easier to create access um, that, you know, that this was going to be one stop shopping, that this is, was going to be, have all the links to all the colleges, you know, so it was going to reduce things. It was going to make it easier for, for kids at all socioeconomic le- um, levels to apply to college because you wouldn't have separate applications. You would have, you know, one common app it would be easier to apply. And now they've made it more confusing and more difficult to apply and that you have to start earlier. You know, the history of standardized testing, the reason the standardized test was put in place, Leanne, originally was to was to counterbalance discrimination in the admissions office. They were trying to create a level playing field so that all kids of all races, backgrounds, genders could could apply to schools. And if they took this test, that would be, you know, the impartial measure. But we now know that the test that, you know, that kids with, uh, with you know, that come from wealthier backgrounds do better on the test. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Have- the yeah. higher your household income, the better you do on the standardized test. I mean, despite efforts by the Educational Testing Service and other groups to, you know, to make the, you know, to, you know, to create access to test prep stuff, that's what's happening. So now, now they're trying to, again, to address the same issue by creating this new you know, a new, uh, more complicated way to apply to college that you have to start with your <laughs> freshman year. So I was really shocked that I'm that, shocked. Yeah. that that was their solution. I mean, that the issue of of having representation at your school, you know, uh, from all socioeconomic classes, of really creating access for kids that are coming from high schools where they don't have good college counselors, they don't have good test prep, they don't, you know, that maybe a big portion of the students in a high school are not even going to college, you know, that 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 this is an issue that all of these elite colleges have been working on. I mean, since I was in admissions, okay, so this is not a new to- topic. And the idea that really, this seems like they worked this out in a committee. Like, okay, let's, let's, you know, you know how sometimes we have you, you a committee decision and you say, how can they come up with that answer? Well, it just, you know, they just talked about it in a committee so much that, well, what we really need is a more complicated admissions application process. That would, that would really help. <laughs> Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that. I never thought about the common application, but obviously when it was created, it was supposed to do exactly what this application was doing. You know, yes. let more kids apply to more colleges. Simple. You know, with, yeah, write right. one essay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you only have to put your information in once. Now you have to fill up a locker with stuff. Lady. I know. A locker. All I saw was that. I mean, the only good thing about like the freshman year of high school and pretty far into the sophomore years, you don't actually have to say the words college to your kids so yeah. they can actually have a high school experience. So not all four years of high school are just this elaborate resume building scheme for college applications. Yeah. Well, several other critics have said, Julie, that the common app just became too common for these schools because these are some of the most highly ranked schools. And that's kind of the eye-opening thing is that if you put any stock in college rankings whatsoever, which is, have been, you know, widely debunked for various reasons and pointed to as like the death of college education in America, but it is these fancy pants, you know, schools that have decided to do this. And I was surprised my alma mater is one of the schools that's on this new application. And in turn, as you mentioned, they have done an unbelievable job recruiting a diverse student body there. That is one of the small liberal arts schools where they have used a million different tools like QuestBridge and like bringing the kids to school and outreach to the communities of, uh, you know, lower, uh, lower socioeconomic high schools and bringing them on campus for all four years for after school programs. They have a new program at Pomona where they take kids out of the community college system in California and offer them admissions at Pomona. And it's a small school. So there's only three hundred kids in the class. So when you have 50% of the kids are, you know, ethnic minorities, that's, that's good diversity in a small liberal arts school. So I was like, why did you do this? You already have a system in place. I just don't understand it. And it must be like, it must, it's going to take a whole nother range of private college counselors to talk next year's junior parents down off the ledge. Like now what are they going to (laughs) do? They're going to have they gonna blow, do? Blow, they're gonna have to get themselves a locker. You know, everybody's going to get a locker, Leanne, <laughs> and they're going to start filling it up. You really cannot listen to this podcast. You don't have time. If you have a high school junior, you should just take the earplugs out. Go on, go on, and get to work on that locker. No, I, I think it. I, we're making a joke about it. It's a very serious issue. It is, and it does create so much consternation, and it's not solving the problem. You know, I mean... I just, it doesn't, I mean, for years people have been, this is not new that you have to work, you know, you have to work farther down the pipeline that you have to really, you know, you have to start working with middle school kids and, you know, and, and, and certainly, you know, freshmen and sophomores to, you know, to get them to think about college and to apply to college. Right. But these, you know, these elite schools, they have enormous resources, Leanne. You I know, know. Harvard, Harvard's endowment is $36 billion. I know. Okay. Yale, $23 billion. Stanford, $21 billion. Princeton, twenty. I mean, so they have resources. They are not-for-profit institutions with billions, you know, multi-billion dollar endowments. And this is all they can come up with, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, they could put know. they could put graduates at every like you know high school in America if they wanted to. Really, they could right. pay for admissions yeah. officers to be out in the community and working in community centers if they really wanted this opportunity. 
And this just seems like another opportunity for, you know, upper middle class parents to get the upper hand and get on it and, you know, bug, bug their kids. Yeah, I just don't understand it. I I don't know, you know, that these are like the smartest people in the world. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's just stipulate that. They are, (laughs) you know, you know, the people who are at Harvard, smartest people in the world. Yeah, they're bright. Right. That's and this is all they can come up with. I mean, I was I was really I was really so disappointed when I read the details of this. I mean, I just I just don't think this was good work done by um, by all these smarty pants. I mean, they <laughs> they really I mean, this is not going to ha- I don't think this is going to be successful. It's hard. It's hard to see how it's going to be successful. So, anyway. well, I, you know, my sympathies, if you have a high school junior or a sophomore, because the next couple of years are going to be rough because you know what happens with these new platforms. They don't work the first couple of years and you have the new SAT. Oh. <laughs> Whew, we are getting out just in time. Okay. Do not let your son defer admissions. Lane. No. Just- oh my gosh. No, no. <laughs> He's applying early to one school, uh, th- th- you know, fingers crossed. And then that could be it. It could be, a, it could be easy, uh, easy as pie maybe. So we're, uh, but that's just a, uh, you know, here's the thing, even the common application it's not, e- that is not even that user-friendly. That oh. is sort of counterintuitive. You really have to be on your game to use that. So to throw another application in the mix, I, it just seems nuts to me. Seems nuts. And you're right. These schools have huge resources that, you know, they could put an alumni representative in a hundred sky schools across the country and do a better job than what they're doing for this. All right. Well, check did it. Oh, and that wasn't even the better bitter business. Bureau. <laughs> no, no. But now I've really worked up a latherly. And so this is excellent as we segue into one of our favorite segments, the bitter business bureau, where we like to showcase, you know, people that have just, for to us, no apparent reason made a billion dollars, yeah. you know, that just have gone out and have been wildly successful. And instead of being happy for them or, you know, have any kind of admiration for them, we're just bitter about it, right? Isn't yeah. that it? Okay. So our first candidate is, is a woman named Tiffany Zong, uh, Leanne, and she works for a Silicon Valley venture capital firm uh, that has uh, sort of $125 million um, uh, available to invest in new ventures, okay? Mm-hmm. And she holds a job that has formerly been held by um, by M- only by MBAs, so you know people much older than her, because Tiffany is 18 years old. Okay, and she works at a venture capital firm. Uh, she decided she did get into college, but she decided not to go to college, and instead is wheeling and dealing with all the big muck, uh, mucky mucks uh, out there in California at 18. So she's not even a millennial, Leah. Okay, <laughs> you understand that? <laughs> Take that, millennials. I know. Crushed it. Crushed your dreams. It's happening to you now. Somebody younger than you is making more money than you. (laughs) Yes. Wait. What, what does she bring to the table? She just, she just started as an intern and apparently is very good at identifying trends and she works very hard. And, uh, but yes, that now, um, now all these startup companies have to come and pitch their ideas to Tiffany, 18 years old. Yep. (laughs) Okay. That would be so humiliating. I'm just trying to imagine like Liz Dolan in front of (laughs) 
going in to see, going in to see Tiffany. Okay, no, okay. no, I've got the next the next business venture. This is the one that's really hurts, Leanne. This mm-hmm. one makes it okay. I'm just going to tell you the name of this business venture, and that it just was sold for twenty million dollars. Okay, oh, I know. I don't. I I couldn't even read the stories. <laughs> I, I think is it. Hello, giggles. Yeah, yeah. Can, do you want me to say that again? Please Hello, don't. Hello, giggles. Please don't. I have nothing against the website, but when I see that, I'm like, where did we go wrong? <laughs> where? <laughs> 20 million, Leon. Let me just say that one more time. I know. Hello, giggles. I yeah. know. I know. And well, it's all lifestyle, beauty, pop culture. Hello, giggles. Yeah, we... <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess we should have had more of a lifestyle than a life. I guess that was our problem. That's it, Liam. Yeah. We were trying to cover real life when we should have been covering real lifestyle. That yeah. Was, I know. Look. And it's, it's got all those celebrities attached. And I know. I, I saw the headlines. I, I almost sent it to Liz and then I had to delete it. I was like, I can't. I can't even send her this. Don't and, send her that. Please. So thank you for bringing it up. Okay. But I want to end on a more positive note, not in the, uh, this is, you know, definitely not in the bitter business bureau. And that is the news this week that Oprah is going to go to Weight Watchers, you know? Yeah. Isn't that good? I mean, I'm a Weight Watchers graduate. I believe in Weight Watchers. I, I, it really helped me. Um, and here's the thing that I love about Oprah. When she decided to go to Weight Watchers, she didn't do it like I went to Weight Watchers, which is to go down and just pay my little dues and get a weigh-in and sit there. She bought 10% of Weight Watchers for $43 million, Lynn. So she is committed. I think maybe they needed that kind of commitment from her. Like if you're a billionaire, you can't just pay your monthly $40 dues. a month to go to the meetings and get access to the online account. Yeah, no. And in truth, the 18-year-old and Hello Giggles, they're all following in Oprah's footsteps. So yes, they are. We're yes, bitter, are. but we're proud. We're bitter, but proud. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I was I was interested to see that they um, were struggling a little bit. First of all, their name is Weight Watchers. So it's a problem when people associate it with just losing weight because your name is Weight Watchers. So look for a name change, I'm predicting, uh-huh. uh, now that Oprah's on the board. Uh, because they want to expand it really into, again, lifestyle. Lifestyle. Just a whole healthy, a whole, not life, not actual life, not (laughs) lifestyle. That is where we went wrong. wrong. Remember real sisters, real life should have been real sisters, real lifestyle, but, uh, they want to expand it into more of a healthy lifestyles company. So that's, uh, that's, that's the caveat there. So that's, that's why they wanted to, you know, go in with someone like Oprah because they need to expand the brand. So it will be interesting to watch that. And they're obviously their socks, stocks soared like 108%, I think. Yes. I think it's a good thing. I I mean, so I think she'll do good. I think Oprah will do good things for Weight Watchers. I'm I'm very happy to hear that. Lady, so. <laughs> okay. You sound happy. You sound super I am. happy. I am. <laughs> all right. Let's go to cheese news, Julie. Yes. Because I, that I just a makes chunk us chunk of all. cheese right now. Lady. That's all. That makes us happy, doesn't it? Yes, Someone it does. posted on the Facebook group an article from Thrillist. And it had to do with um, what this doctor said about cheese. And his name is Dr. Neil Bernard, a founder and president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And I, I don't know what that's a cover for. I don't know. <laughs> but he, <laughs> ca- 
It's I don't, lifestyle, Leanne. It's lifestyle I, medicine. I don't know how any reputable human being could call cheese, quote, dairy crack. I mean, <laughs> that, That's but it, it is, isn't it? It is. Okay. Apparently there's a protein in dairy that uh, makes your brain read it like it's an addictive substance. So when you eat a hunk or a, sli- a hunk of Roquefort or a slice of breed, Brie, your body has to break down this casein and that becomes sort of an addictive thing. You need more and more of that. And (laughs) yes, I do. That explains our behavior around the cheese platters, Leanne. It does. This Dr. Bernard compares this protein casein, casomorphine, uh, in cheese to morphine in in medicine. Acts like an opiate. It attaches to your opiate receptors in your brain. And also, you know, as people, we've evolved, our brains have evolved to not only, you know, respond to this cheese opiate, but also to really love high concentrations of fat and salt. (laughs) That's it. That is a lifestyle right there. Fat and salt. Yeah. Mm -mm. (laughs) We just need a kid like, hello, fatty. I mean, what's a good, what what are we going to call our our new lifestyle website, Liam? (laughs) Hello, fatty. <laughs> That's a good one. Hello, piggles. That's <laughs> good. That's good. Hello, piggles. So, <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, Ooh, so there's I, no moral to the story. It is crap. No, I'm just, if you're wondering why you can't stop eating cheese, that's why. Just, you're not, you're not, you don't have bad dietary control. You have an illness. So don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. It's okay. It's not your fault. Cheese is not your fault. That's all we're, that's all we're saying. That's good. Lena. Okay. That's, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have another, I have another story about a medical finding that you're going to enjoy because this, what's the perfect compliment to cheese, Dooley? Wine. Well, okay. No, but that's true. You're right. You're right. Um, and then dark chocolate, right? Little cheese, little chocolate, little wine. That's a lifestyle. Yes. Cheese, chocolate, wine, cheese, (laughs) get Liz on this cheese, cheese, wine, cheese, chocolate. Um, all right. Work on that a little, Ian. <laughs> New study came out this week about dark chocolate and the health benefits. And I know we've heard a lot of these, but this is excellent, particularly in our family. Okay. Loma Linda University study has revealed how dark chocolate can potentially make you smarter and improve your memory. Okay. Oh, okay. I am in. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. Yes. Here's what, here's, here's what, here's what the findings are. A research team discovered that dark chocolate with 70% cacao uh, content affects regions of the brain associated with learning and memory, promoting nerve cell growth, increased brain function, and communication. You also get blood flow improvement and the formation of blood vessels in the brain and sensory systems. I mean, that is like a triple whammy. You get it all. You have a little dark chocolate, you get new blood flow, you get new brain cells, you, you got sensory systems firing, you got brain function, communication, memory. Are you kidding me? It's fantastic news, isn't it? That is great. Is that for like a whole bar of chocolate? Because that's usually what I eat when I try to 
when I try to buy, you know, to, you know, eat eat some dark chocolate. It doesn't say the amount you need okay. to intake. Apparently, we have to wait till uh, the findings of neuroscience. Okay. You know, a, a new magazine coming out shortly. This is just a little quick hit, but this is the first time that a study has shown that there's a possible connection of neuroelectric activities that initiate the mechanisms of cacao's beneficial effects on brain reasoning and intellect, synchronization, memory, mood, recall, and behavior. I mean, that's it. What more do you need? A food to do. If I had that, I'd be in good shape. (laughs) I'm going to get myself a bar of chocolate. Even if you only had like three out of seven. I I know. I know. Very positive. It's the wave of the future, Dr. Burke believes. So tremendously excited about what these findings could potentially mean for brain health. Of course, they'll probably tell us, no, no, don't eat the chocolate. We'll just give you this instead. And that would be sad, wouldn't it? Very (laughs) sad. I know they say now one ounce of dark chocolate. So I, that's what I prescribe for you, Julie. One okay, ounce thank you, man. I'm going to start there. I'm going to start there. Well, I mean, I eat blueberries every day. <laughs> Me too. Because I heard they're good for your memory. Uh, so I've got to do the dark chocolate too. Okay. Sounds good. And one more item on uh, the Facebook group. Someone posted a picture of um, the, the pumpkin crisps from Trader Joe's. Julie, are you familiar with these little tiny crackers no. they have at Trader Joe's? Uh, They are fantastic. They have them in several different flavors, and they're like rosemary and cranberry, pumpkin. Uh, They have just seed ones, and they're small, which is what I like. And I have been using them for a couple of years uh, for, for a special cheese recipe. So see how I did that? I did cheese, chocolate, then cheese again. That's a lifestyle right there. <laughs> yes, it is. That's a lifestyle. And then, and then crackers. <laughs> crackers. Hello. Cheese chocolate. <laughs> Just work on the name, William. Just cook up a name. That would be good. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Trader Joe's and get your pumpkin cranberry crisps or the rosemary cranberry. They're good. Here's, here's the, uh, here's the, it can be an hors d'oeuvre. I've also used it as a dessert. You get mascarpone cheese, like a little Ooh. container of mascarpone. So that's like mm-hmm. a sweet sour cream. It's smooth. Yeah. Or as, as, Cream cheese, excuse me, the Italian cream cheese, slightly sweet. You just put that in the middle of the plate, okay? Then you, in an artful fashion, you drizzle across the top of the mascarpone with good honey, with real honey. Mm-hmm. You make okay. a very pleasant pattern. And then, Julie, here's the piece de resistance. You sprinkle the top of the mascarpone with pomegranate seeds. Oh. And then you put these crackers around it. And I am telling you, it's a winner. Someone served it to me at a book club like four years ago. I bring it to everything. People go nuts because it's, it's sweet, but the crackers make it a little savory. It works before dinner or after dinner if you're just doing kind of a, you know, fruit and cheese after dinner. Unbelievable. That's it. There's no recipe. I'm not posting it anywhere. I don't have a picture of anything. So don't ask. Marscapone. Four things. Four things. I just four wrote things. it down. Marscapone, honey, pomegranates and crackers. You can do this. We can do this. You can totally do it. And if you can't find pomegranate seeds, I mean, I have a pomegranate tree, but most people don't. You can find them at Trader Joe's or other grocery stores now. You can also use the dried cranberries. That's delicious too. It's a pretty holiday dessert. Kids like it. You know, grownups like it. It's a winner. So there you go. I mean, come on. What more? That's a lifestyle right there. That is a lifestyle, Leanne. Hello, Marscapone.
Hello. Hello, Mariscapel. Well, see, there we go. Okay, Lane. Well, speaking of, we're, we're going to move on. I have some just tiny trends. You know, usually I like to do trends on Tuesday, but I can't say that any of these are big trends, but they're tiny trends I want you to be on the lookout for, okay? The first is something that I, I know I want one, and I'm, as soon as I get one, I'm going to get one for you, Leon, because I think you would enjoy it and could use it in your house. It's called a Laundroid. Um, this is now, it's, a, it's just coming out. It's a Japanese clothes folding machine. Oh, wow. So, so you put your garment in this machine and it folds it up for you. How about that? And it's being hmm. made uh, by Panasonic is, is, is putting out these Laundroids. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is that it takes four minutes per garment, okay, which, which is kind of long for a garment. What the... I know, but you know, it's a machine, but this is the first generation of the Laundroids. By the time we get, you know, to, you know, in another year, they'll, I'm sure they'll have cut that down to two minutes to one minute. But can you imagine, Lee, think of all the laundry you have in your house. Think about, about the, the time that you spend folding laundry. If you had a Laundroid and you could just feed it in there, you could have your sons just feed their shirts in the Laundroid. <laughs> So you have to stand there and feed it in. Well, yes, yes. I mean, so you know what you'd be doing? You'd be folding the rest of the laundry while the machine folds. <laughs> okay, okay, Liam, do not burst my bubble here. Okay. This, this is right. going to be good. Okay, I think we're this talking, a time uh, will tell. Time will tell on the long road. Yeah, this is, this is a little like the driverless car, Liam. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's not really working now, but everyone's super excited about it. You know, you're crashing into trees in the driver, driverless car right now. But, you know, the same about the Laundroid, okay? It's a little slow on the shirts, but just give it time, Leon. I really think that this could be good, that they'll figure out some faster way to, uh, to you know, to speed up the process. So that is, that I think is good stuff. Second trend I wanted to bring to you that I saw, because, you know, you think about, I'm going to a wedding in June and I saw, and I, you know, this is kind of wedding season or get preparing for weddings. Six new bridal uh, wedding trends, Leanne. All and right. I want, and I wanted to get your uh, your um, opinion about these. Okay, first first uh, big uh, uh, bridal trend is transparency in the bridal gown. Sheer dresses, sheer panels, sheer backs, sheer fronts, or, you know, it's uh, like a short dress with a sheer bottom. What do you think about that? You know, I have seen a lot of these dresses on Say Yes to the Dress now that I've caught up on every episode of that show. Yeah. And I just don't understand it. Like, it's just a little too sheer for me. Yeah. It just seems like the grandmothers are not going to like that. No. And, you know, I think there's a lot. That's not a look for my wedding day. Mm -hmm. But there are some brides that come in and that is what they want. But that, that would not be what I wanted. Okay, so, I think they're going to regret it. That's the kind of, you will regret having a sheer dress. Yeah. That's with giant sheer panels. Okay, sparkle, Leanne. Apparently, this is a new trend. I, I thought there was plenty of sparkle going on in wedding dresses, but, you know, really a lot of sparkle, like uh, like ball gown sparkles, you know. Wow. So, so that is, you know, really upping the, like, you know, real princess gown things with lots of, lots of beads and sparkles all over. I'm okay with that. Okay. Okay. Here's what a trend I know you're going to uh, approve of: um, short wedding dresses. Uh, yes, I approve. I wore a short dress. I approve. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think they're cute. I think you were a very cute bride. I think I think it's a very cute, fun, fresh look. Yeah, and I think uh, I hope you know. I'd like I'd like to see more of those. You can okay. definitely look bridal. Like I definitely you're wearing a big veil. I mean you're. <laughs> You know, you're wearing a veil and you're wearing a white dress. So, yeah, you definitely look bridal. No, I enjoyed my short dress. It never occurred to me to get a long dress. So uh, I'm happy. I'm happy with it. It's held up. It's held up. Still looks good in the photos. Okay. See, that's the thing. This here's what here's a trend I do not think is going to look good in the photos. And again, uh, I think you're going to upset the grandmothers is the plunging V neckline that you really have a, a, you know, a plunging neckline. At your wedding. Well, I can tell you again on Say Yes to the Dress, those Italian uh, mothers from New Jersey, they do not like this. They're the grandmothers. <laughs> they always say things like, you know, save it for the wedding night, things like that. So, yeah, it's just when I think of wedding, I don't think of sexy. Yeah. And so that's why the sheer and the plunging, that looks like uncomfortable. You're going to be struggling a lot. It's a very special day. It's a it's a ceremony. It's sacred. So plunging seems out. Yeah. See, it seems like you, you, you could get in trouble there. You definitely I, could get in trouble. And this is another one I don't see happening. And that's the lingerie look that, you know, the slip dress oh, no or the corsets, that. you know, you wear oh. a corset. But see, again, I think corsets are for Halloween. That's what I think you should wear a corset <laughs> when you want to be a pirate, you know, uh, yeah. or a wench or whatever, whatever, yeah. you know. But I don't really think that's such a good look for a wedding. Again, it looks crazy uncomfortable to me. I don't know why you would want to spend your whole wedding day like strapped into a corset. I, it just does not look comfortable. Okay. Leanne's going for comfort. Now, yes. this last category is um, the high concept category, you know, that you wear a jumpsuit, uh, you wear a red uh, bridal gown, you wear a bridal gown with a hood, uh, or... You know. <laughs> oh, oh, well, a hood, that's a good idea. <laughs> you think? Listen, that's fine. I, I, don't, I think that's fine. If that's yeah, what you okay. want to wear, that's fine. I mean, it would seem like your whole wedding would be going that way, so it wouldn't seem to be out of place. I mean, I'm guessing you're not going to wear a white. If your whole wedding is going that way, what do you mean? Like, well, everybody's you, wearing hoodies to you know, the wedding? First of all, I can tell you who'd enjoy that, my son. If he got to wear a hoodie to his wedding, he would be happy. Um, no, like, you know, if it's not a big formal church wedding and you're in a jumpsuit, like, that seems to be unusual. But, hey, if you get married, I don't know, on a beach and you want to wear a jumpsuit, go for it. I don't care. <laughs> okay. That's what Leanne says. She doesn't care. Just wear it. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, those were my trends, Leanne, for Tuesday. They were tiny, but I, I really think that give give that laundry a little, give it a chance, Leanne. Just be on that, look, keep looking for that. I think that could be a good appliance. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I will, will do, Jill. Will do. Uh, all right. A couple of exciting entertainment stories before we get to our Madam Secretary recap. Is there anything else we need to do, Julie? Remind people of anything? Contest still going on? Is the con- this is the last on? week for the contest. Yes. You have to get your pictures up uh, either on Instagram at Sat Sisters YTB, hashtag Sat Sisters YTB, or put it on our Facebook group, The Satellite Sisters. We have actual winners. People have been winning <laughs> copies of the books, Leanne. 
So it's happening. And what we really want to see is your, are your satellite sisters. And, and tell us a little bit about your satellite sisters. So that's it. It's very simple. Uh, this is the last week. So uh, come on, put those pictures up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Not that we're chiding you or anything. No, they've been some fun pictures. And, and the winners are super happy to, to win. And that's great. Um, okay, so <clears throat> that's the contest. Anything you need to know about the book tour, again, go to SatelliteSisters.com. Click on the events page. Things will be updated as we know it um, every couple of days. It's a little complicated to um, go in and update sometimes. So I like to save it till we have all the information before we Good do idea, the update. Good idea, Good idea. Okay. Finally, two huge entertainment stories yesterday, Julie. First of all, I don't know if you saw this, but the Gilmore Girls is getting a reboot. Yes, Leanne. How yes. fantastic is that? <laughs> that, I mean, that? It was meant to be. I mean, you know there's an audience for it. Uh, you know, uh, include me in that group. I mean, that will be wonderful, Leanne. Yeah, and I think they're doing it exactly the right way. It's going to be four 90-minute episodes, so it's not a whole series. They can just do these little mini movies. The whole original cast is back in Lauren Graham, Alexis... Uh, Bladell will be there um, reprising their roles as the Gilmore Girls. We have the mother coming back and, you know, the love interest Luke, uh, actor Scott Patterson will come back. So this is exciting. Plus the original show creator is back. See, what happened at the end of the Gilmore Girls, Julie, was that Amy Palladino, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino, mm -hmm. she was, she was fired, I think the last season. So yeah. she never really got to end the show the way she wanted to end the show. And now she can like fast forward 10 years in time and create the storyline she wants to create and end the show the way she wants to end the show. So it's been a huge hit on Netflix. People who didn't watch it the first time around uh, have watched it beginning to end. I know like our niece Fiona and our sister-in-law Susan, they did that. They had never seen it before and it was a great mother-daughter watching experience. And so that's where the show's going to be up on Netflix. I think that's exciting. I think it's fantastic. Very good news. Yeah. Now up next, let's hope Friday Night Lights. Come on. Let's get back. Let's get back. Okay. See what happened there. Come on. 10 years down the line. Come on, Come Friday on, Night coach. Lights. Come on, coach. And then, Julie, I don't know if you watched Monday Night Football. Uh, probably you might have, but did you see the new Star Wars trailer? Yes, I have seen it, Liam. What do you think? What do you think? I, I actually started to choke up when I watched it. I am so excited about the movie. I was, I mean, I know I cry at everything, but I mean, I really got choked up. Like, this looks fantastic. Like, when they showed Han Solo, I was like, I oh my gosh, this looks fantastic. I'm so excited. I can't stand it. It really looks great, doesn't it? I, I'm, I, I hope they get those uh, websites fixed where, so you can buy tickets <laughs> to go see it. Cause I understand a number of them crash that so many people share your excitement. Liam. So and I've decided I, I'm not going to wait. Uh, I'm going to get some of that star Wars stuff too, uh, uh, because it's going to go fast. I can yeah. see it's going to be like cabbage patch dolls, you know, like I can't wait to Christmas to like find, get star Wars stuff for my grandson. I got to get it now. I got to, I got to make my move. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, it really looks fantastic. I yes. mean, my sons have been talking about it forever, but just seeing that trailer, unbelievable. So great job. In a couple weeks on our Satellite Sisters, You're the Best Encore interviews, we're talking to J.J. Abrams. Now, of course, we talked to him 10 years ago uh, when Alias was in production. So long before he got the Star Wars nod, but it's so fun to talk to him. He's such an interesting, creative guy. And I think you can hear a lot about how he 
approaches scripts and stories from this interview. And uh, so I'll be happy to repost that because it was really fun to listen to again. I mean, I love that show Alias. So um, it was great to have him on for that. But he's gone on to do fantastic work. And so I think he was the right man for the job for Star Wars. It looks great. But this week on our You're the Best Encore interviews, we are posting our Encore interview with President Bill Clinton. So that comes up this week. Oh, you've got to listen to this. It's an amazing interview. <laughs> yeah, the whole, and, he, and we talk about the backstory about, about the interview and waiting for President Clinton and all of that. So you don't want to miss this interview. Please listen to that. And Julie, you ask a question that is nothing short of brilliant and prescient. So you just have to wait. People just have to wait and listen. But uh, that was really a fun interview to do. Our whole series of Encore interviews can be found at SatelliteSisters.com or iTunes, wherever you listen to the show. Um, so far, we've posted Elizabeth Gilbert. We'd love to hear what people thought of that one on the day that, um, on the day that Eat, Pray, Love came out. We reposted our conversation with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And then our first Encore interview was a conversation with um, the late, great Nora Ephron on the publication of her book, I Feel Bad About by Now. And so coming up on Thursday, you'll be able to listen to our interview with President Bill Clinton. And also one other thing, Julie, I just wanted to shout out to Carol at Sur La Table. Carol, I hope you're listening to the show. I hope you figured out how to listen to a Satellite Sisters podcast. <laughs> okay. I went into Sur La Table, Julie. I had to get a new coffee maker. You know, my... Okay, yes, you needed a new coffee maker. That was a... That was a sort of a shaky operation. It was Mark. starting to go south on me. Like every yes. once in a while, the coffee would just run all over the place for no reason. You know, <laughs> like yeah, just willy nilly. And then things started leaking out the bottom. So I, I was trying to hold on and not be wasteful and everything. But one more leaky bottom coffee cup. I was like, forget it. That's it. So we went into Sur La Tabla to get a new coffee maker. We were shown many options by Carol, who quickly identified me as the author of Helen Pasadena and one of the Satellite Sisters. She said, oh, I miss your show so much. I loved listening to it. You know, I wish I could still listen to it. I was like, Carol, you can. I swear to you. You can do this, Carol. Just go to the website, Carol, and you're going to see a big arrow. I want you to click on the arrow. Carol, you can do it. You can listen. But Julie, do you remember on Satellite Sisters when we gave away the monkey table? Oh, yes. The monkey table. Yes. This was this was an art project gone awry that I had made by some Russian artists um, in yeah when I was living in Moscow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't remember the backstory at all. I'm like, yes. huh. Was that from Bangkok that Julie had a monkey table? No. <laughs> now, you're right. It was a Russian interpretation of monkeys. Because they was... didn't know what monkeys looked like in Russia. <laughs> this is what I figured out when I got my monkey table. Oh. Yeah. So you gave it away and people had to enter. Well, Carol, whose nickname is Monkey, and in fact, whose license plate is Monkey on her car, <laughs> she entered. She was still sad she didn't win that monkey table, Julie. She I'm wanted so... it. I'm sorry. She wanted it. So... Oh. We did a lot of excellent things back in the day, but Carol, I hope you have figured out how to listen to this podcast. I hope you are listening now. I told Carol about our Satellite Sisters meetup in, on November 7th in Pasadena and then the big event on the 8th at Froman. So I hope she's there too. But that was funny. It really made me laugh. And I ended up buying pretty much exactly the same coffee maker I had. So <laughs> that's Way to go, Carol. Good work. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, you know, as she said, she goes, well, you have a coffee system that you like and you're just going to stick with it. And that's exactly right. It was, it's a good system. I make a nice pot of coffee. So, all right. We are going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Satellite Sisters. Um, we are going to come back with our recap of Madam Secretary, episode three of season two, The Ruzolka. Am I pronouncing that right, Julie? Ruskala. 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 I don't know. What they were screaming at poor Bess at the end of the show. Anyway, wow, I am glad that we have a criminologist in the house to help us decipher that episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Satellite Sisters. We're back. We're the Satellite Sisters. Thanks for joining us. This is our weekly recap of Madam Secretary on CBS. We're in season two, episode three. This one was... Julie, how do you pronounce that Russian word? Rusalka, Rusikala. I don't know. One of the two. You know, I was never very good at it. But I think, yeah, something like that, Leanne. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California, and I'm here with my sister Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. We're two of the five Satellite Sisters. You can find more about us in all of our podcasts. We're a full-service podcast operation. News Talk Laughs. We do it more than Madam Secretary Recaps, but we're glad that you found us. You can find all that at SatelliteSisters.com, SatelliteSisters.com. Julie lived in Russia for five years, so Julie, this was a fantastic episode for you. We're going to go through a lot of things. And at the end, I actually have a list of, of Russian questions I wanted oh, to ask Okay, you. okay. Because I believe in a recent email, you referred to yourself as a Kremlinologist. Is that yes. correct? Yes, I am, Liam. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm the family Kremlinologist. Yeah. Okay. Let's be clear. Yes, you're not actually a Kremlinologist. <laughs> But, but I do watch Vladimir Putin very closely. You know that, Leanne. That is true. You, you've mm -hmm. been on him for many, many years. You've been very suspicious of him for many years. And this, this story, obviously, Putin-esque overtones. Okay, because this episode was so incredibly complicated, sometimes we break it down scene by scene. But you know what? We're not going to do that for this one because we'd be here all day. So mm -hmm. this one, Julie, I wanted to do it by major storylines. Okay. So I have my storylines. Then I have my favorite moments. Okay. And then I have um, Russian questions for you. Okay, Liam. How does that right. sound? As a, that as sounds a, good. As a structure. Okay. Here are the four major storylines. Uh, the first one's kind of minor, actually. It's the, let's call it the family storyline. First of all, we didn't see Stevie, the 21-year-old the daughter, at all this episode. So we can only assume that she's off making poor choices. Yes, she's, she's up to no good, <laughs> Liam. That's it. <laughs> But instead, we did see the young son, he, uh, the so-called anarchist son, yeah. all of a sudden he wants to play football now. He's had to switch schools. It's tough being the child of the Secretary of State, adjusting to the fancy private school. He switched to the public school. He's having a really hard time fitting in. He has no kind of mojo at the public school. So he decides he wants to play football. And this, uh, this is concerning to both of his parents. Yes, but and I would concern me too when I saw him playing, you know, throwing the ball around with his father in the backyard. He could not throw or catch that ball at all, Leon. He threw like a girl. You saw that, right? Well, Julie, those are fighting words for some people. There are some girls that can throw the football I know a lot better throw, than that. I could kid. throw better than he could. I mean, he was just those were the worst 
No, I didn't understand that at all. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, so there's something up with the playing football land. Right. It's not what it appears to be. Well, yes. he reveals that he's had a really hard time making friends. And I thought that was a very sweet scene when he, you know, he tells his father, uh, he's not clearly in junior high. That is a terrible time. I mean, those are just two to three of the worst years ever. Yeah. And if you think that maybe junior high has improved in the new millennia, it hasn't. It's still terrible. <laughs> okay. It's still bullies and bad skin and everyone's crying. Girls, boys, parents, everyone's crying. So it's still bad. So, you know, over the course of the episode, we see that uh, he wants to play. They don't really want to let him. They're concerned about injuries. But, you know, he does end up making the team, right? Isn't that what happened? Did he make yes, the team? Lynn, yeah. but it is very interesting that Madam Secretary follows, like, NFL football on Sunday night. And yet, and, but Madam Secretary is pretty strong about, you know, you know, we don't want him to have a concussion. We don't want him to get hurt, you know. So uh, it's just a little, a, a small point. Later. And okay. for this particular episode, I understand several people got messed up with their DVR because the game ran late. So, yes, Liam. Yes. Really was an interesting juxtaposition, Julie. Yes. All right. The other major storyline was that poor Dimitri. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad for him. He is the Russian student at the College of Warfare, whatever that college is. Uh, he's now uh, turned on Russia. He's become an operative for the NSA. Yes. Uh, Professor Henry, a dear sweet Henry, is now his kind of crushing handler. Henry had yeah. some moments, didn't he? Henry, and Henry has a very dark side. He I does. He does have a dark side, and that came out uh, in this episode, that you know, he is just, he's mission driven. He wants to get this done and he's, he's, he's putting the hammer down on Dimitri. Yeah. And so poor Dimitri had a, a test this week to see if he was actually going to be able to be trustworthy and worth it. Uh, he had to go to the Russian embassy. He had to drink a tremendous amount of vodka. He had to, <laughs> to sidle up to the Russian ambassador, which seemed to be no problem at all. No one wanted yeah. to talk to that guy at the yeah. Russian embassy. And, uh, and then he had to be beaten up in a like mock uh, breakdown by fake Russian security people while, all while being watched by the NSA to see if he was trustworthy. And when he passed that test, Julie, then when he went back to his poor, his room at the college of war, that was terrible. I felt it was like a ballet. It was like this angst written ballet, him tearing down and tearing apart his phone and his computers and his clocks because he was worried he was being bugged. That's right, Lee. And, and well, the one thing that Russians are very good at is suffering. And, and, and I think that's what Dimitri was just portraying, you know, that they, you know, here he is. He only reason he wants to be, a, you know, that he's agreed to be a spy is to help his sister out so that she can get some new drug for her cancer. OK, but he has to go against everything in his moral fiber. And even when he's do doing that, they're beating him up over it. And so he's haunted and he's. He's, he's destroyed and he's suffering in a way that only Russians can suffer. That is exactly right. I mean, it was like a ballet, a grand ballet, watching him tear apart that room. He's a good little actor, that guy. Yes. Yeah. 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 I like him. Okay. The other, the third big storyline was, I'm just calling him Rat-Faced Craig. Okay. <laughs> that, is that? Craig Sherman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oof. Or Sterling. What's his name? Sterling? Uh, Sterling. Greg, okay. Craig Sterling. Excuse me. Okay. He is the president's new national security advisor, and he seems to take a position on everything that is the complete opposite of Madam Secretary's position. And he's creating this tr this rift between Bess and her, the president, who was her longtime boss at the CIA, and Bess and pretty much everyone else in the administration. So 
that rat face Craig, he just messes with her at every turn. Plus he's Mr. Military Intervention, right? I right. think that's a solution to everything, whereas Bess is driving for a diplomatic solution. So he even shot down her lovely lunch invite. And I was like, oh, no, you didn't, Ratface Craig. I mean, what do you think I wanted, I wanted, I wanted the secretary to take those ridiculous cuffs that she was wearing and <laughs> strangle Craig with them, you know, or at least borrow a pin from Madeline Albright and poke it in his eye, Leah. <laughs> I mean, he, yes, he's trying to undermine. Uh, we, we are really looking at hardball politics there. He is just trying to rub her out, you know, and he doesn't give her any credit for her past successes. He said she improvised everything. And uh, he's just, he's making it as difficult as possible for her. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, there was a very complicated uh, diplomatic solution happening. It involved, you know, Bess trying to uh, side with, you know, get the uh, Russian generals and the Ukrainians on the same page, whatever. It was just complicated. We don't need to. Well, it was to. complicated and ridiculous. We are never giving up the Ukraine, Leon. Okay. And the Ukrainians are not giving up Ukraine. That was ridiculous. Like one conversation, one coffee cup full of coffee. Okay, I'll give you half. You can have half of the Ukraine. No, that is not going to happen, Leon. Okay. <laughs> Well, I am glad I didn't bother then to decipher it. I was I'm kind of losing track what was happening. <laughs> okay. But the big storyline of the night, I'm just calling the Black Widow Rises. Yes. So the, most of the episodes centered around uh, what is happening in Russia after the death of the president. And the you know, show opens. We see the you know beautiful Russian widow sitting there in spectacular sets this week. Didn't you think? Beautiful were, production values. They were really beautiful. I mean, she's gorgeous. The Russian supermodel um, that is the wife of the president. She's no Ludmila Putin, who was Putin's first wife. You know, which was she was more of a hardier stock. Uh, this supermodel, you know, she's just. She's dressed in fabulous black clothes. Uh, they have her smoking, which I thought was sort of an odd detail, but maybe that will, uh, the, the meaning of all of that will be revealed. Um, but uh, it is, you know, they, and, and again, yes, it looks very beautiful. It looks like you are, you're literally in the palace at the Kremlin. Yeah, it was spectacular sets all the way through. So <laughs> she's the widow of the now deceased Russian president. And yeah. she creates, over the course of the episode, she creates her own power play. While <laughs> Madam Secretary is off, you know, reuniting Russia and the Ukraine. And Ukraine is giving up half their country, which Julie now tells us is terrible. Uh, the, the grieving widow is creating her own coalition in Russia. And right. in the middle of the eulogy, like her husband's eulogy, she gets up and she denounces Elizabeth McCord. Madam Secretary is taken down in the middle of the eulogy. She calls her this, you know, uh, what is supposed to be like an evil Russian mermaid, the result. Yes, it's like, a, it's like a, a, a bad spirit, you know, like you don't, you know, and the, and the Russians are very superstitious. I don't know. I, you probably don't know this, but yes, about everything, Leanne. I mean that, you know, you can't uh, like stand under a door frame. Uh, they will never shake your hands. You know, they, you'd either need to be in one room or the other. You can't just put your arm out 
through a doorframe. They think that's bad luck. Or, you know, if you, you know, drop salt, they get, they go crazy about that. Crack mirrors, uh, you know, all kinds of things. So this, this is like a Russian spirit and they think that she is an evil force and they want Elizabeth out. Yes. It was a very awkward scene. <laughs> Awful little detail. Russian Orthodox churches in Russia. There, there are no pews. Okay. Everybody's standing. Okay. And you, you don't, you don't get to sit down, but, but she had to, she had to leave, you know, she had to walk out. She had to make that decision to walk out uh, the secretary. Right. And late. it was humiliating for her and humiliating for Russia. I mean, humiliating for the United States and the black widow ends her speech by saying, Russia will never be afraid of you. Or what, what did she say? Yes, Russia yes, will... Right. Yes, she will never be afraid of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we see the Black Widow. Then, in this kind of Avita meets the Black Swan moment, my she, gosh, she's at the Kremlin. She opens up the gates, and out she comes and lifts up her hands to an adoring crowd. And I, that's when I thought, well, she must be a Tony winner too. This actress, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like she's everyone, break out in a song. Yeah, at that moment. Okay, that's possible. Yeah, but it's. Yeah. I mean, maybe she just saw this as her part of her play. She was, she's, um, she was backed by all those Russian generals and maybe they feel like she will be a good face for Russia while they run things behind the scenes, you know, that she's not going to give them any trouble. You know, she's just going to sit there, look beautiful and smoke cigarettes and, uh, and that, uh, they can run the country as they see fit. So that maybe that's the plan. All right, Julie, I have a couple of Russian questions for you. And okay. Then, and then uh, I'll do my favorite moments. Let's just go right to the Russian questions. Because this really, this episode, start to finish Russia, certainly set up future storylines that, you know, we're back in the Cold War. Our biggest enemy is Russia. Let's go. So we're going to be getting a lot of Russia, it appears, to be over season two of uh, Madam Secretary. All right. The opening scene was a shot of vodka and something. And the Black Widow was sitting there, you know, beautifully lit. Can you explain like the vodka thing? It's day and night. It's why is it such a big deal? It's well, first of all, that particular, that opening shot of the vodka, that was brown bread or black bread on top of the vodka. And that was uh, in uh, to uh, memorialize the the dead president. That was sort of his drink and, and vodka when it's served like in a, you know, like a regular family or social situation, it would be a shot of vodka, some black bread and a pickle, you know, that that's, you take the shot, eat the bread and the pickle, take the shot. Uh, but I wouldn't recommend doing that repeatedly at all. But um, uh, so, but that was for the dead president. Uh, and I verified that with my Russian daughter-in-law. She told me, she, uh, I checked on, checked on that. And yes. Uh, good good fact-checking. Good fact-checking. We do some fact-checking here at Satellite Sisters. Um, and yes, vodka would be served at a wake, that that would be very common. Um, and you see it on, on the tables as well, you know, it, you know, at a formal dinner, vodka would be served, um, as part of a formal dinner. It's just, it's the drink of Russia. They always drink it in a shot glass, never on the rocks. Uh, you know, that's not, that's not how they do it. But in many cases, it's ceremonial, uh, Lee, and it's not like you're sitting there doing a lot of shots, you know, but in other cases, there are there are people just doing a lot of shots. <laughs> well, I so, remember when we went to visit you in Russia, we were doing yeah. an event. So three of us showed up and we went to a lovely ladies lunch. Uh, our first day there, we had just gotten off the plane. Vodka for all, like at yes. lunch. Yeah, because yes. that's a formal ceremonial thing. Yes. All yeah. right. 
Okay, you know, in the middle of this thing, we see the Russian president lying in stake, Ostrov, the dead guy. And they had all the Americans there kiss the dead guy. I did not believe that. I did not think that our people would have to kiss a dead Russian leader. No. I mean, well, first of all, he wasn't frozen like Lenin. Okay. okay. So he was just he was just dead. Yeah. I don't think they would let that many uh, just regular people like junior staffers kiss their they kiss their president like that. I mean, I think that that is, again, some uh, formality that you would see. You know, so Russians would do it with real Russians, but they're not going to let some State Department, you know, you know, press person uh, kiss the former uh, the former president. I don't think so either. Okay, I didn't buy that. All right, and then uh, the Black Widow—the fact that she was able to take over to turn the generals to her favor—does yeah. that kind of stuff happen outside of like you know Argentina? I mean, what, <laughs> Venezuela? I mean, it seems a little old. country as big as Russia. They turn the stuff over to the widow still. Do you well, have any no, political you know, thoughts on I that? mean, it's all, I mean, it's very, cent- despite, despite the fact that it is a, allegedly a democracy, you know, I mean, it's very centralized in Russia. Uh, and that if for some reason something would happen to Putin, I mean, he did ditch his first wife, Ludmila, and of course now he's hanging out with the gymnast. I can't see that they would they would put the gymnast, uh, the Russian gymnast, um, as as the new president of Russia. But you can see that the wife would be very, you know, would be very powerful. And Dira Gandhi, you know, that, that she came from a family, that that... That was, you know, that was, you know, important. I mean, she was a daughter that way. So I think you would see female family members or wives take over. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, criminologist. Okay. Okay. All right. I had a few favorite moments. I don't know if you have anything else. Do you have okay. a, do you want... No, no, go ahead. Leave okay. your favorite moments. Okay. First of all, I loved uh, the sexy time between um, lovey-dovey Henry and Bess in the beginning when she's asking him, you know, what dress should I wear to the funeral? Julie, yeah. all she has to do is hold up a little black dress. She doesn't even have to put it on. And Henry goes yeah. crazy. I mean, yeah. how easy yeah. is that? Yes. Yes, that was good. That they are cute together, Lynn. They have that chemistry. Yes, it's working. <laughs> All right, we can't let this episode go by without discussing what you can only refer to as the cavalcade of blouses. I mean, they just did not stop coming. The tie blouses, the kimono blouses. We had black and white blouses. We had a bathrobe that was so nice it could have been a blouse. I mean, <laughs> what now? What did you think about the kimono blast, Julie? Well, Leanne, I mean, it looks best when you have your elbows on the table. Then I think it, you know, then you're really in a power position. So if you're at a cabinet meeting, I think that's going to work. Obviously, if you're at a luncheon or a dinner, that's a problem because you have your elbows on the table. And once again, the secretary is not using her coffee cup saucer. Okay. But this would really be very upsetting to our mother, you know, very upsetting. Okay. And I believe that she's going to get that blouse in her coffee cup at any moment, Lynn. You know, the thing is, it was a beautiful blouse. It was this blue and white blouse with these enormous kimono sleeves. And yet at one point she put like her grandmother's button down (laughs) sweater over it. Like, (laughs) I guess it's cold at the state department. Well, she was working hard, Lynn. That was, that was, she was with her (laughs) with her brain trust there and they were working on this on that that cockamamie scheme for the ukraine i know she needs to get josh lyman on her team from the west wing he's available i mean she she needs one 
solid employee there on yeah. that team yeah. uh, that can take things seriously, you know, besides B.B. Newworth. Yeah, that kimono blouse, unbelievable. Uh, so, But then I thought when she put the blue jacket over it, she had to go meet with the president and rat face Craig. Like, that, then it looked good. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. she looked fantastic, Madam Secretary, at the funeral. I thought that Absolutely. was a real power suit, the red blouse. She had the same tie, the pin on that um, Madeleine Albright had given to her in the episode before. That was a good look. I yes. thought that was good. Uh, so, uh, you know, excellent work on the blouses. At one point, the consultant told, uh, Madam Secretary that she should start a binder on rat face, on rat face Craig. Yeah. Yes. uh, You know, an opposition research, oppo research binder. Julie, I think we should start a binder on these blouses, frankly. Yes, I should. Okay, Liam. We should. You know, like Mitt Romney, he had binders full of women. She's got binders full of blouses. I mean, that's... It's unbelievable, her blouse collection. All right. And then I did like uh, Jill Hennessy making a brief appearance, but taking our note on how to wear her hair, correct? Yes. Yes, she did. She put it up. You don't like that ombre look in a ponytail. You don't like it, Jill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she's Henry's uh, national security handler, and uh, she was getting tough with Dimitri. But um, at one point, Henry asked her something, and she said, yeah, I'm going to have to kick that upstairs. And I just thought that's a phrase I should use more. I'm going to have to kick that upstairs. I'm like, there is no but upstairs. you are upstairs, Lynn. I, <laughs> I just, I'm going to have to kick that upstairs. I just okay. Use that okay. That's a good one. <laughs> anything for you? Anything else? Well, of course, the tent, Lynn. I love oh. the high security tent. Yeah. The pup tent that they set up in the room. Now, you know, it looked ridiculous. It sounded ridiculous. It was ridiculous. But of course, today, where art is imitating real life, uh, it was it was revealed that the head of the CIA, uh, 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 Mr. Brennan, had his a- AOL account hacked today. So he apparently does not have a tent in his office. And I think he I think everyone at the CIA and everyone at the State Department should start putting up their tents, don't you think? <laughs> Do you think the server in Hillary's basement was in a tent? I don't know. <laughs> they tented that? I don't know. That tent was it that was just that was a crazy thing. I loved it. <laughs> And, uh, and sort of the big reveal at the end of the show, another storyline setting up, is that a couple in the first episode, the president's plane went dark, no communications. What happened? Oh, it's hackers. Now we know that the hackers had uh, 100% control of the plane, and they could have crashed the plane into the ocean if they wanted to, and they didn't. So oh, it's oh. a threat. It's a warning. Someone out there, not presumably not the Russians and the Black Widow, because she's very busy doing other things in Russia. She's got a lot of fur, a lot of outfits to put together. She's uh-huh. got more speeches to make. But someone is out there uh, as a threat to the president. So that was an exciting upshot at the end. Yeah. No, this is it's quite a drama, Liam. I, I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> okay. All right. If you have comments or questions, you can always find us at SatelliteSisters.com. Also, join our Facebook group uh, where it's the Satellite Sisters. You can join if you're a real person and not a bot. We're happy to approve you. Or you can find us at our regular official Facebook page, Satellite Sisters. But uh, all the shows you need and everything you need are at SatelliteSisters.com. All right, Julie, I am exhausted. I mean, that, I that was... I think, you, I think you need a shot of vodka, Liam. That's what I think. <laughs> Kick it upstairs, Liam. <laughs> okay. Over and out.
<laughs> We're the Satellite Sisters. Don't forget, call your Satellite Sister.